Revelation chapter 5. We have come to love Revelation chapter 5 over many years and some decades. For it is the picture of heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up from his apostles here on earth into the presence of God and the various choruses and choirs of heaven burst forth in praise to the Lamb of God. Almighty God had a book in his hand written within and without, sealed with seven seals, and no man was able to open that book. John wept much, according to verse 4, because there was no one found in heaven or in earth or under the earth that could open that book that had all the treasures of salvation for God's elect. But the an elder there told John not to weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, in verse 5, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And we saw the Lord Jesus Christ arrive as a lamb that had been slain and approach his Father in heaven and take the book out of his hand. And when he took the book out of his hand, because finally there was someone that could open the book that has all the blessings promised for God's people by the covenant of salvation, the choirs burst forth into singing. In verse 8, it's the four beasts and the 24 elders representing the church and the ministry that sang what we are now going to read in verse 9. This is the new song that had been unable to be sung in heaven before until that moment. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. Amen and amen. The angels then burst forth into singing. Their number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they sang, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. But they couldn't sing that He had died to redeem them, because He hadn't. He had died to redeem us. And then every creature which is in heaven, the third choir, bursts out in praise in verse 13, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen and Amen. Allow me a few minutes of your time to talk about redemption through His blood. Redemption's a grand theme in our Bible. Job said in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth. In Psalm 49, Matthew read to us, but God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave. In Luke 1, Zacharias prophesied that God had visited and redeemed His people when John the Baptist was born, knowing that he was the messenger to precede the Lord Jesus Christ. Anna the prophetess spoke to all those in Jerusalem that were looking for redemption in Luke chapter 2. And we can go through the New Testament and find references to redemption that are many, and we conclude right here with this grand theme and picture 
of the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven for the redemption that He obtained for us. Our God has chosen in the Bible to use a variety of terms to describe salvation. Salvation itself simply means deliverance from something. And so it's a rather vague and obscure term. And God has chosen to use a variety, 15, 20 or so terms, that give us much more light and beauty of the doctrine of salvation than just mere deliverance. Some of those are judicial or forensic or criminal or legal terms, like justification or pardon. Some are relational terms, like propitiation or reconciliation. Some are familial terms, like adoption. And some are economic terms, like ransom or today, redemption. An economic or financial term used to describe salvation so that we hold up the diamond of salvation from the Word of God We twist it just a little bit and we see these different facets of the diamond, of the facets of salvation that present God's great deliverance of us from sin, death, the grave and hell, and the devil himself. We see it in a little different light. And it's God's way to try to show us, His children, the wonderful things that have been prepared for us from the foundation of the world. He wants us to delight in every little aspect. If you were to adopt someone in your home, you would want to show them every room, all your acreage, your outbuildings, the toys that were parked in the garage, all the good things that you had for your children. Because the children that you give birth to, they just grow up into all that stuff. And so they get introduced to it you know, every day of their lives. But the Lord has adopted us, and He wants to show us all that He's got for us, and so He reveals it different ways. And today, we want to take a few minutes and think about redemption. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. For us to appreciate the facet of salvation called redemption, we need to know what the word means. And the word is simple. It means to buy back something from a claim that someone else has against it or over it or power over it. It's to buy it back so that you can free it from something something happening to it because it's under the power of another. So redemption means that we're bought back and you can immediately think that you know we're bought back from the claims of God's justice against us because we're sinners. And that is exactly right. The, The word redeem and redeemer and uh, redeemed and redeeming is used many times in the Bible. I want to share this one with you, which was included in an update to the church, but I like this one. Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 12. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. That's the firstborn of every creature that opens the cervix called the matrix in your King James Bibles, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The males shall be the Lord's. 
And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males. But all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand, and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. All this killing of animals and sacrificing of animals was to be like a front piece in front of their eyes to remind them that they had been delivered from the land of bondage out of the hand of Pharaoh by God's great mercy to them through Moses. And you know, we're about to have a Lord's Supper right here, which is like a frontlet before our eyes to remind us that we have been delivered out of sin and death, the grave and hell and the devil by God sacrificing His Son for us. His firstborn. It's important to remember things when God delivers. And God delivered them out of Egypt. And so they had this rule of their religion and their agricultural and farming life that the firstborn male that opened the cervix, the firstling, the firstborn of every animal was to be given to the Lord. But the Lord didn't like asses. They're unclean animals. Can you imagine an ass being sliced and its blood running out in an altar of Jehovah and fire sending that up to heaven? No, you can't. And I don't want you to be able to. And I want you to think that's repulsive. That's terrible to think about an ass being offered on the altar of God. And so, because it was the Lord's, and because it should be offered on the altar, because it was the Lord's, the first male of an ass, so you had to offer a lamb for it. And the Lord would allow the substitution. And the Lord's very fair, because a lamb is not worth what an ass is. An ass is a more productive animal than a lamb. But anyway, you could kill the lamb, and you could save your ass, because the Lord didn't want any ass on His altar. And if you didn't want to pay a lamb, then you were to break the neck of that ass. And so you've got this little male ass, and you just take that thing, and you snap its neck over your knee. Because you break its neck and you kill it. Now I like this picture of redemption, because I'm God's ass. And He doesn't want me in heaven. Because I'm not fit for heaven. I'm fit for hell. I belong in hell. I'm an ass. I'm a wild ass. And I'm sorry, but so are you. But He killed a lamb in my place. And that's redemption. That's redemption. An ass gets to go to heaven. Because a lamb was killed for me. 
And so it says there in that 13th verse, And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. That means you buy it back from being killed on God's altar, which you couldn't do, or having its neck broken by killing a lamb in its place. And God took care of this ass by sending His Son, the Lamb of God, to die for me. Does anyone else agree? Asses don't belong in heaven. The Bible says that even the angels were not found clean in His sight, let alone us. We stink. We're corruptible. We're a mess. We're asses. But we're there because of redemption. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, you've got this ass and you want want to multiply some of the productive animals on your farm and it conceives and out comes a male. Oh, it's a male. Well, you get to kill a lamb for it and you can keep it. But you can't put it on God's altar and it is the firstborn male that opened the cervix of an ass. So something's got to be done, but the lamb's killed for it. That's an example of redemption. Redemption is to buy something back Something you once had. It's to make payment for a thing that's held by another. It's to free mortgaged property. It's to recover something that's held by another where there's an amount due in order to release it so that you can get it into your possession. And for God to get us into His possession, He had to redeem us and buy us back from the claims of His law against us. You had read to you by Brother Ryan, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, that described the first Adam getting us under a claim of sin against us, because for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Then the last two verses of that chapter said, moreover, the law entered. You know, from Moses, from, from Adam, let's jump forward 2,500 years to Moses. The law entered. Now there was the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and all that went with them, and we're under the claim of that. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Right. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But we want to talk about the claim against us. We had Adam against us, and we had God's law against us. So we're under the claim of another, and we need to be bought back. Turn to Exodus 21 if you didn't like my first illustration. This is, these are the kind of illustrations I like. They're found in the pages of Scripture. Right. Do you know what you don't get in this church? Our other illustrations. If you were to go home and type into a Google search box, Sermon Illustrations of Redemption, you can read until you retire. And that's what other pastors do. And they actually have secretaries and uh, ministers in waiting that sit at computer terminals and look them up and pick out the best three or four or five. And that's what makes up a sermon. You know, we've already used our one text, Revelation 5, 9. You read the one text and then you tell three, four, five stories about redemption, get jerk a few tears out of people's eyes, and uh, it goes down pretty well. It's easy to swallow. It's, it's beautiful. But it's not preaching the Word. Yeah, right. And so I preach the Word and give you an illustration that God gave. And I love the illustration because I'm a perfect ass. I fit the symbolism and, of an ass very well. And the Lamb of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And He killed Him for an ass to be in heaven. And I hope that all of you can look at that and say, I like that too. But here's another one in case you didn't like it. Verse 7. And if a man sell his daughter, I want every one of you girls to really think about this illustration, and all of us. If a man sell his daughter, if a man sell 
his daughter to be a maidservant. She shall not go out as the men servants do. She doesn't get to count a few years and get to be free because she's a girl. She has to stay there. If she please not her master, the guy who bought her, who hath betrothed her to himself, maidservants ended up serving as wives, though they weren't considered wives. They still had to sleep with their master whenever the master wanted to, but they didn't get to be the privilege of a wife, called a concubine in some places. Then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And then it goes on to describe if he were to have bought this girl for his son to be his so-called wife. There were certain rules that covered it. I just want to work on verses 7 and 8 for a moment. There were two girls. There was Rachel and Rebecca. They were twin sisters. Rachel and Rebecca. I'm making this up, okay? From these two verses. Rachel and Rebecca were twin sisters, and their father fell on hard times. And though they babysat as much as they could... And though they took on other part-time jobs when they could and had a lemonade stand, they could not raise enough money. And their father had to sell them both. And he sold them to to two brothers. And those two brothers did not like them. And those two brothers were not kind to them. Do you know what the passage tells us? They could be redeemed. The most eligible bachelor in the entire nation came and found one of them. And he paid the price that that mean husband had paid to get her in the first place. He paid that because he had to sell her. Because she could be redeemed. He paid for it and he married her. The most eligible bachelor, the richest man in the nation, married her, bought her freedom, married her, and treated her wonderfully. And she gave him a number of children and built a great family. Another man in the kingdom... Not the most eligible man, but he was very rich. He came and he bought that girl and he adopted her. He didn't marry her, he adopted her. So we've got these two girls that were in a terrible situation and they could be redeemed. One's redeemed and married to the most eligible man in the nation and the other is redeemed and is adopted. And so they're texting each other during the week saying, who's, who's got the best life? I mean, the one that was married was just thrilled, and the one that was a daughter, she said, I'm just waiting for the right guy to come along. I have the best of all worlds. I mean, I'm just waiting. They were redeemed because they were in trouble. And rich men came by and redeemed them. Do you know that we've been redeemed both ways? We're the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're the sons of God. We're His brother. Is that wonderful? We're redeemed. Do you know who bought us? Do you know we sold ourselves? We sold ourselves to the devil. We sold ourselves to the devil. How were we treated? What are his names in Greek and Hebrew according to the Bible? Abaddon and Apollyon. He is a destroyer. And he was destroying our lives. We followed the course of this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ came along and redeemed us by buying us back by his own precious blood so that we are his bride and we are his brothers and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. That's as far as I go with an illustration. And you all know that about me. But you know where we got it from? It wasn't from the internet. 
It's from, I love the Bible. If we'll just look up every occurrence of the word redeemed, what examples we have right in the pages of scripture. And, And I hope that all of you young ladies are saying that is terrible. You think that's terrible? It is terrible. When it says she doesn't please her master, do you know how she was treated? I won't tell you in this assembly. You say, well, that's just a terrible story. i got a worse story for you. And that is we sold ourselves to the devil. And we lived in sin and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is a worse story. But instead of those two men that came along, one was an eligible bachelor, one was another man that was very rich and purchased them back. We were purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a greater story, a greater redemption, because we were in greater trouble than those two girls were. There's many other examples, and I've got them all in an extensive outline on redemption. I love putting together outlines. I hope that ministers in the present and ministers in the future might be able to use them sometime, that you're able to look at them and just see most of what the Bible has to say about this great subject. The Bible says to redeem the time. Do you know what that means in the use of the word redemption? To redeem the time means you give up something to buy time back. Very simple. And so you know the doctrine is very simple. We had a claim against us. Adam sinned. The law came and we sinned. We continue to sin. And the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. After we die, we get put in the grave. And the grave consumes us. And worms eat us. Then we meet Almighty God, the books are opened, we're found to be sinners, we're cast into the lake of fire. The devil manipulates us and does whatever he wants to us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, that they are taken captive by the devil at his will. We need deliverance, and it's called redemption. And it's purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by the will of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I do not want to be long. I've got enough material here to be very long. And that isn't to boast. It is to thank you for supporting your pastor and for praying for him who still has the desire and the ability to stay in his office a long time every day because I love this. I love this part of the job. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. This is how God has saved men. He has saved the poor of this world. He saved the asses. Because if you look up through verses 26 through 28, it mentions the foolish. It mentions the weak. It mentions the base. It mentions things which are nothing. It mentions us asses that God has chosen to save us, as the word is used in the beginning of verse 27, but God hath chosen, because God's chosen whom he's going to save. And here's why he's chosen those parts of humanity. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We're never going to get to heaven and claim any reason for being there that is part of us. It's all of his grace. But look what it says in verse 30. But of him, that's God, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. You don't get into Christ Jesus by something you do. You get into Christ Jesus because you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So it says, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who, now it's speaking of Christ, who of God is made unto us. So God put us in Christ, and God sent Christ to do certain things for us, and there's four of them listed. So that Christ is our wisdom, 
our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And the reason is given for the second time, that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There's only one Redeemer. There's not a co-redemptrix. Yes, that's a word. Co-redemptrix. That Mary is a co-redeemer with the Lord Jesus Christ. We deny on the authority of God's Word. We don't care that there's 1.2 billion Catholics and there's only a few Baptists like us. We deny on the authority of the Word of God. There's no co-redemptrix. Jesus Christ by Himself purged our sins. Jesus Christ once for all took His blood into the presence of God and it was acceptable and satisfied Him. Look at the price that was paid for our redemption. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. There's many things that could be read. Many things that could be explained. I hope that those that love the Lord Jesus Christ might look through this outline and see some other points at a later time. Galatians chapter 3. Christ hath redeemed us. Amen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law curses us because we have broken its commandments. We're sinners and we must die. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And here's how, in this particular vantage point, by being made a curse for us. For it is written, as part of that law, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Part of that law was, The Israelites stoned. Their capital punishment was stoning because it was a curse to hang on a tree. And just because they were stoning someone doesn't mean that person was cursed. But it was cursed to hang on a tree. And you know why that was written into the law of God. Because God knew how Jesus Christ was going to die. Because He died at the specific hands, not of the Jews, though they were the instigators, but at the hands of the Romans who crucified on a tree. So Jesus died in a tree to take the curse of the law in order to redeem us, buy us back from that law by being the curse for us. These are the things the Bible says about your redemption. It's a wonderful thing. And how He's bought us back even by that curse of the law. Our religion is at great odds against others. It's a bloody religion. We have a bloody religion. You look in the Old Testament, there's blood, 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 blood. You look as early as Genesis chapter 3, and there's God killing animals to clothe Adam and Eve, our first parents, with coats of skin. There's blood. There's Abel bringing blood, and Cain says, that's disgusting. The Lord's going to be more pleased with my beautiful grain offering here. But God wasn't more pleased with that beautiful grain offering. God loved that blood. There were flies around the cross. There was stench around the cross. There was stench and flies around the cutting and meat tables of the tabernacle of the Jews and of the temple of Solomon and the temple of Zerubbabel. It was a dirty, filthy religion. Do you remember how big that laver was where they all had to try to get clean? Because there was filth and gore, purple gore of meat, fat, and blood mixed together. That is our religion. Do you know why? Because that's what it takes to put away sin in the sight of a holy God. And it wasn't the gore of animals that would get it done. It was the gore of His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so people hate blood redemption. They hate substitutionary atonement. They want to leave Jesus as a good example. They want to leave Jesus as a martyr. But they don't want to look at that gore that that was pleasing to God. But it did please God. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Are there any benefits? Oh, look at Ephesians chapter 1 since it's close at hand. Ephesians chapter 1. While we're here, for those that love Ephesians 1, verse 3 says that God's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4 tells us how He did it. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He then elaborates on it in verse 5 that He predestinated us to be adopted as His children by Jesus Christ and it was all according to the good pleasure of His will. There's the will of God as to how many get predestinated to be God's children. He chose us in Him. And here's salvation, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It's why we're saved, because God's grace needs to be glorified in the universe, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We don't accept the Beloved in order to be saved. God makes us accepted in the Beloved to save us. All chosen before the world began. But then it goes on to describe, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Ephesians 1, 7. And then it's defined for us. The forgiveness of sins. We are bought back from the claims of God against us because of Adam's sin and our sins were bought back. And it's called the forgiveness of sins here. It's called redemption through His blood. And on what basis is it done? according to the riches of His grace. And how is it designed, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence? Salvation is by the wisdom and prudence of God in designing such a redemption. And then He's declared it to us, as verse 9 tells us, that He's made known the mystery of His will. Hebrews 9 tells us that your eternal inheritance is dependent upon your redemption. Romans 3 tells us that your justification is dependent upon your redemption by His blood. Look at Galatians, back one page or two, to Galatians chapter 4, and I want to show you about adoption. God can't adopt you just because He thinks an ass would be nice in heaven. He wouldn't even think that. He can't even think that. So He's got to redeem us first. Look at Look at this how much depends upon that economic transaction with God Himself in order for Him to justify us, in order for Him to adopt us. Back to the redemption of those twin girls, Rachel and Rebecca. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, notice very carefully, to redeem them that were under the law. We were under the law. The law demanded that we die. To redeem them, buy us back from that law. Notice what it says next. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That is the legal transaction of adoption in God's plan of salvation. A price had to be paid to free us up, to get us out of the orphanage. A price had, a big price had to be paid. The precious blood of His only Son. Notice, God couldn't adopt us until He had redeemed us. And to be perfectly honest and fair with you at all times, 
to order these facets in the way that they should be ordered, which one is greater? Redemption or adoption? We would put adoption being greater. But notice what had to happen before you could be adopted. You had to be redeemed. You know, you could be redeemed, just bought back from the claims of the law against us, and we're sort of neutral before God because all the claims against us have been eliminated. We don't want to be neutral before God. We want to be the sons of God that the Bible describes. So it led to our adoption. Is there a future redemption coming? Look at back at Romans chapter 8, which was read to you by my father. Romans chapter 8. This, this is so... Fa- Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We go into the Bible and look up every bought, purchased, ransom, redeem, redeemed, redeemer, redeeming, and we find these, and we put them all together in the five phases of salvation that God's given us, and it's beautiful. Are you fully redeemed? Is it finished? I'm going to get different answers because where is he going with that leading question? (laughs) Are you fully redeemed? No, you're not. I want to tell you that there are future benefits still dangling out there. And by dangling, I don't mean that they're happen chance. We're going to get every single one of them because of the purchase price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.23 And not only they... That is the whole natural creation that's groaning and travailing in pain. Everything dies out there. Everything corrupts. Everything rusts. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. This was the first generation of Christians after Pentecost. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Now, wait a minute. I thought they were the adopted sons of God. Waiting for the adoption. But then it's defined for us. To wit, when the Bible says to wit, it means the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what He just meant. To wit, the redemption of our body. Our bodies have not yet been redeemed, but they have been bought back from corruption. Don't we all know that we're corrupting every day? You look in the mirror and something else is wrong. Always corrupting, corrupting. But we've been bought back. We're groaning in travail. You know, if you've got a spouse and she's in another mirror, she hears you groan because you saw something else you didn't want to see. Then you hear her groan because she saw something she didn't want to see because we're corrupting. But we've been bought back. We've been redeemed and our bodies are going to be glorified in heaven. Look, this is, this is a common theme of the Bible. Notice there is a redemption yet to come, though Christ had already died on the cross and redeemed them, but there were aspects of that still to be fulfilled. While the transaction was the legal phase, there is the final phase of glorification when our bodies will be redeemed from the power of the grave. Look at Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, where we can see this as being repeated in the New Testament. These are benefits of redemption. These are future benefits of redemption. David, in describing all of the foolishness of rich men who cannot redeem their bodies from the grave, had that one verse, didn't he, Matthew? Only one verse was positive in Psalm 49, and it's verse 15. Right, Adam? Adam likes Psalm 49, Matthew. I just want to be fair. Only one verse. But God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me. And should we stop there and think about that? So we have a Selah. Yes, we should. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We get the gift of the Holy Ghost after we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, that Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It is the down payment. It is the performance bond. It is the guarantee. It's the earnest money that we are going to heaven to an eternal inheritance because God has given His Spirit inside us, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is the purchased possession? Us, body, soul, and spirit. And we're going to be redeemed. It's still coming in the future. And until that happens, we're given an earnest deposit on it to convince us to believe it. That it's, He's going to perform. So He's given Himself to us in the Holy Spirit because He has already purchased us, but He's going to buy us back completely and our bodies from the power of the grave. The purchase price has already been paid, but the full uh, application of it will occur in the final phase of salvation with glorification. This is the Word of God. Right. This is glorious. Amen. Look at chapter 4 and verse 30 in this same epistle, 430, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Remember what the Holy Spirit was in chapter 1? It's the earnest. That heaven is out there. God's paid His down payment on it. Do you know how big it is? It's more than 500 bucks. Someone in the last week has told me about a $500 earnest money deposit and they were ridiculing it as to how foolish and stupid that was because who, who wouldn't walk away from 500 bucks? Um, you usually put down, in our, in our county, you put down 3%. So, you know, if you're buying a $150,000 house, it's a $4,500 earnest money. But remember, chapter 1 told us what's our earnest? The Holy Spirit. What's chapter 4 and verse 30 telling us? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul does. He brings it up again. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. There's a day of redemption coming in the future, though the cross was in the past. What is that day of redemption? Come forth! Shouted the archangel. You say you didn't sound very angelic. I know that. I was embarrassed before you heard it. Come forth, and all those bodies will come out of the ground, and they will be redeemed. And we have the earnest of it in the spirit of the living God. There's so many heresies of redemption I don't have time to tell you. Um, the Bible says this, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But do you know what? All Arminians believe that redemption is by money. Arminians are those that think you have to take the gospel to people and get them to do something in order to be redeemed. And there's a, there's a, a, a part of the equation that they ignore that's not in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10 it says, How shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach except they be sent? You know, they have another level to it, and that is, if nobody pays, nobody goes. And if nobody goes, nobody gets redeemed. But see, we believe something different here, and it was preached in the first service as well, and that is that Jesus Christ is not going to lose a single one because He's obtained eternal redemption for them. When Jesus Christ entered into the holy place in heaven with His blood through the eternal Spirit in Hebrews 9, 12-15, it says that He had obtained eternal redemption for us. Right. 
It's not held out there as an offer. The, it says in that passage that he offered himself to God. He didn't offer himself to us. He offered himself to God and God accepted the payment. And that, that's what makes us accepted in the beloved. They add gold and silver to it. If you don't put enough money into missions, then missionaries won't go. If missionaries don't go, then people are not going to be redeemed. Really? So it's dependent on your silver and gold? And they would say, yeah, it is. But then you've got to ask them this. Why are you driving such a nice car and living in such a big house? Why aren't you renting a little apartment and having all your children in one bedroom? Lots of people have lived that way in the history of the world so that you can give all your money to missions because none of them believe their own theology. None of them. You have never met an Arminian that believes their own theology because they wouldn't be leading the comfortable, prosperous, luxurious lifestyles that they do because there are souls dropping into hell that they could put into heaven if they would just give more to missions. Do you know what verse they like to quote? Mark 16, where it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Though that was given to the apostles, they think that it belongs to them. But let's go to Mark 6. Just for, just for a moment, Mark 6. They'll quote Mark 16 over and over and over, though the Bible tells us in ten different places that the apostles fulfilled that commission, including the very context of Mark 16. Look at Mark 16. Verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look at verses 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and set in the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. Did they or didn't they? Did they fulfill the commission or not? The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. There's no one in this room and there's no one in this county and there's no one in this country that can fulfill the signs that were given to the apostles to accompany the preaching of the Great Commission. No one can fulfill the Great Commission in the way that it was given. It was only given to those apostles and they fulfilled it. And the very text tells us, and ten other verses tell us that in the New Testament, that the gospel was preached to every creature while Paul was still alive. But here's what, here's what irritates me because we're talking about redemption and they make redemption dependent on giving money. But look at what Jesus said about going out to preach if they're going to be consistent with the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Mark 6 and verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve. The same, pe- the same men that he called to him in Mark 16. He called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits, just like the Great Commission in chapter 16, and commanded them, commanded them, that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, that's a shepherd's little bag in which he'd have a sandwich or some stones. That's where David put his five stones to go kill Goliath and his four brothers. No bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. That's what you're supposed to do if you want to be a missionary for Jesus. You can't take anything. But they all take lots, and they've coined a new word called deputation in which they go around to churches 
signing up people, churches that will promise, we'll send you a hundred bucks a month. We'll send you two hundred a month. We'll send you four hundred a month. And when they get to four thousand dollars a month, then they'll go to Tahiti. And it's called deputation. But look at what the Bible says. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up and I'm sounding so critical and negative about people that are very nice about what they want to do, but so are the nuns that helped me graduate from Madonna College. Don't laugh too loud, Charlie. It's still there. Because it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There cannot be anything like that working its way in or it is a violation of the Scriptures and it's heresy because they misunderstand the salvation that is in Christ. You had read to you, Romans 5.19, For as by one man many were made sinners. That is the doctrine of original sin. That is the doctrine of representation. That is the doctrine of imputation. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Adam disobeyed, we all became sinners. Even so, in the exact same way, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Jesus Christ obeyed, and it's His singular obedience by Himself that saves us. We have no conditions to perform to get saved. We have conditions to perform to know that we are saved. We have things to do to prove that we are God's elect. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So those verses in the Bible that tell us about things that we need to do in conjunction with salvation are not things in order to get saved. They are the things that are the evidence and proof that we are saved because we were redeemed by Jesus Christ and Him alone. What, what ROI are you giving the Lord Jesus Christ? You've heard that before from me. ROI means return on investment. What kind of a return on investment is the Lord Jesus Christ and God His Father getting from your life? He invested in you. What if you were that Rachel and Rebecca, one was now married and one was now adopted, would they be motivated, do you think, a little bit to treat their new husband and their adopted father decently? Like with their lives? We have both. By the redemptive blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What ROI are we giving Him? How much do we love Him? Speak of Him. Serve Him. Obey Him. Confess our sins to Him. It's time to remember His investment. But as we, as we partake of this Lord's table and we remember His investment, we should be examining ourselves. What kind of a return am I giving Him who redeemed me? What are we doing for God our Father who sent His Son, the Lamb of God, to redeem asses for His family? Unbelievable story. It's the glorious mystery of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. And some of those things are just facets of salvation when we think of redemption. You couldn't imagine it. It exceeds any drama ever written. And it's true. 
It's not fiction. It's the most non-fiction event that's ever happened. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.